Well, I'm, uh, I'm certainly excited to see how many of you didn't let that white stuff falling from the sky uh, keep you from coming. As I would greet people in the lobby, they say, oh yeah, we're from South Dakota, we're from South Dakota. And it's funny because uh, I had a church in West Virginia for about three years, and they call themselves the Mountaineers in West Virginia. And uh, so I remember the first time that there was snow forecast on Saturday night, and I put some Facebook post that said, you know, hey, we're all Mountaineers, so don't worry, whatever round in the morning, we're going to have church no matter what. And uh, some of the elders said, you might, not, you might want to rethink that. They called me and we changed the post. And um, we had about a fifth of what we normally had that morning <laughs> because they just didn't drive in the snow. And so you may not have the mountains right here in Sioux Falls, but you certainly are hardy uh, Midwestern people. And we're excited uh, that so many of you didn't let that hold you back. You, you had a, a, a savior that you needed to worship this morning. And so we're excited um, to be kicking off a new series. But before we jump in that, I, I was reflecting on this this week, and there's a, a passage of Scripture that perfectly transitions us from the resurrection last week. And I hope you've been remembering to remember the resurrection this week as you have been um, reading your Bibles and praying and witnessing, sharing your faith with other people, that you remember that the tomb is still empty. We didn't just set that up for one week. The tomb is still empty. Seven days later, the tomb is still empty. 2,000 years later, the tomb is still empty. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is here among us and is available to you as you live your lives for his glory. So if you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I love God's word and I'm in God's words every day, but there are certain passages that just resonate deeply and maybe they are tied to a moment in time where God's word came alive for you and, and this is one of those passages that, that has deep, deep significance for me, that the Lord led me to in a place of intense pain and suffering and really encouraged my spirit. So I want to read verses 1 through 5 of Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one of the pew Bibles. It's on page 1752 there in the seats, um, underneath the seats, and uh, you can join along with us. Here's Paul writing to the church in Rome, and he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have gained access by faith to the grace in which we now stand. That's what we're celebrating from last week. That's what we were talking about last week as we remember to remember the resurrection, as we remember to remember what was done for us and live with the hope of eternity in God's presence. Then, verse 3, can become a reality for us. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, you put your hope in the right thing and hope will not disappoint you. If you put your hope in the wrong things, if you do the wishful thinking stuff and you put your hope in horoscopes or karma or something else that this world has to offer, that hope will probably be disappointed often. But when we put our hope in Jesus Christ, when we put our hope in the power that raised him from the dead, that hope will not disappoint us. And when we put our hope in him, we can rejoice in our sufferings and we can allow those sufferings to produce perseverance and that perseverance to produce character and that character to produce more hope and we can live lives filled with the hope of the glory of God so our bottom line today you're going to hear it early you're going to hear it often 
Our bottom line today is that perspective transforms pain into power. Perspective transforms an empty tomb into the very power of God at work in us. Perspective transforms your pain, your suffering, into God's power. We're going to look at a couple of different ways that he does that through his word and a specific example of how he does it in Jesus' life that we um, have in our New Testament. So the new series started today, and it's titled Getting Past Your Past. Getting Past Your Past. We all have things in our past that we need a little extra help getting over, getting through, getting past, moving beyond. And we don't want to forget completely about them. We want to learn from them, and we want to grow and be be more powerful for God's will to be done in our lives. And so we're going to start fairly broad today with a message on suffering and the stewardship of suffering. And we'll get a little bit narrower the next couple of weeks. And the last two weeks, we'll start to move beyond that and become proactive in ways that we can leverage our past for God's will to be done in our lives. But before we get there, I want to I announce something to you that I'm kind of excited about, and uh, it's the idea that we have a social media team here at Linwood Wesleyan Church, and I'm looking at it right now. If you have a social media account, you are a member of the Linwood social media team. And the reason I'm talking about this is we had a really good example of it this week. On Thursday morning, we shared a post that uh, was about announcing the new sermon series, Getting Past Your Past. And we do this almost every day. We share something, whether it's a scripture or uh, some announcement or something like that. We shared this image And by Saturday morning when I was finishing up my slides, over 782 people had seen that image. Now, there's only 500 people that have liked our page. So where did the other 282? And it was actually up to about 900 this morning. It was 895 this morning. Well, what happened was, you can see over on the right there, we get to see when people have interacted with that on the back end. And we could see that eight people shared that post. Eight people said, oh, I'll put that on my wall, and all my friends will see it. And then a couple of those people shared it as well, and some people liked it and commented on it. And all of that meant that 782 people, well, now 985, and there's probably a few more since then, were invited to Linwood Church to start this new sermon series with us. And a couple people from uh, around the country contacted one through there, one through a private message, say, hey, is this going to be available online? Is, is there some way that we can listen to this? And so God's using social media in order to reach people and draw them into his family of families here at Linwood Church, and you can be a part of that. Whenever you like it, that tells Facebook that it's good content and they show it to more people. Whenever you share it, a lot more people see it. So this is one way that you can help your church, one way that you can, week in, week out, just, just click like, click share, write a comment, tell people you're excited, and that is going to help reach more people through the tools that are available to us today. So the message that we're starting today is titled, The Stewardship of Suffering. Now, how many of you have experienced suffering in your life? Quite a few. In fact, I would venture a guess that every single person in this room would fit into one of three categories. You either have experienced suffering, or you are currently suffering, or if those two don't apply, I've got some bad news for you. You will experience suffering at some point in your life. You will suffer deeply at some point in your life. Some of you maybe have experienced a lot of suffering and are currently experiencing a lot of suffering. Wherever you fit on that continuum... I believe this message and this series has the potential to really minister to you and allow God's word into places in our lives that are only accessible when we are suffering or have suffered. 
So if suffering something that's in your rearview mirror and you've come through that, I'm praying that this message in this series can be sort of some healing, bring about additional healing and additional perspective that will transform your pain into God's power in your life. And if you're going through suffering right now, this may be more like a first aid kit for you. This may be something that ministers to right where you are at this moment in your life. And if you haven't experienced suffering yet, then maybe it's more like a toolbox that you can put a few tools in and when you reach that place of suffering, the Spirit of God will be able to remind you of the things you learned over the next four or five weeks. Or perhaps you can take that toolbox and sit down with somebody else who's suffering that's not in the room and you can open it up and start to share uh, some of the things that you learned through this series and minister to them and allow God to work in you and through you to help them. In fact, that's one of my favorite quotes on suffering or quotes on pain. My former pastor used to say this all the time. It's a Stuart Briscoe quote, and he says that, that things happen to us so that God can work in us so that God can work through us. Things happen to us, and God doesn't cause them to happen because he's mad at us or because he's not paying attention. They happen because we live in a fallen world. But they happen, and and when they happen, and when we experience pain and suffering, that God's able to work in us in a way that he is not able to when we're up on the mountaintop. There is an experience that we have with God in the valley that doesn't correlate to the mountaintop. There is an, an antenna that goes up in our spirit when we experience pain and suffering that makes us available to God in a way that we aren't when everything is fine. And so things happen to us so that God can work in us so that God can work through us. And if we will allow him to create purpose from our pain, then God can work through us and his ministry can happen through us, not just in us, and others can be blessed through the pain and the suffering that we've experienced. But the choice is ours. We have to decide, are we going to become bitter as a result of our pain and our suffering? Or are we going to become better? Are we going to allow it to be transformed? Because remember our bottom line? That pain, that, I'm sorry, that perspective transforms our pain into power. And so our goal today is to help you learn from and leverage your pain. I'm not trying to make light of suffering or pain in any way, especially if you suffered through abuse or neglect at the hands of others. There's only compassion, there's only grace, there's only an earnest desire that something from this morning or the next few weeks would bring healing, would bring help, would bring hope to your life today. Because Richard Rohr has said that if you don't allow God to transform your pain, you will always transmit it. If we don't take our pain to God, if we don't become good stewards of our suffering and our pain, and we take that to God and allow Him to transform it, then eventually we will transmit it. You've seen this phrase, hurt people hurt people. And there is a lot of unredeemed pain and a lot of unredeemed suffering in the world today, and it keeps being transmitted to more people and stays untransformed and unredeemed by God, and it gets transmitted to somebody else. And our hope and our goal and our desire is that we would be able to bring our suffering, be good stewards of that suffering to God and allow Him to transform it so that we don't transmit it. Now, I, uh, I brought a cake to church this morning. How many of you like cake? A lot of people like cake. Now, it, it, it hasn't been transformed yet, okay? It's still just the raw ingredients, but you might have been wondering, well, what did he come up here with all this stuff for, right? Uh, 
So I brought a cake, but, but I haven't baked the cake yet. But it's still a cake, right? Because what goes into a cake? You've got flour, you've got eggs, you've got oil, you've got baking soda. Everybody likes the sugar. There's plenty of sugar. And there's some frosting and some salt. Why did I bring a cake that wasn't baked to church with me this morning? Because this is our lives, right? How many of you would like to come up here and eat a couple of raw eggs? Any takers? But that's the protein, right? That's, that's really the only redeemable part of this cake. Everything else is just carbs, right? How many of you would like to eat a teaspoon or two of baking soda? Anybody? Wash it down with a nice cold glass of tea? How about some... Anybody want to take a couple of cups of dry flour with a spoon and just eat that? Not so many. Okay. Bet you wouldn't want to wash it all down with some olive oil either, would you? You see, this is how life works, isn't it? We want all the sugar and the frosting, don't we? But that just rot our teeth and expand our waistline. We can't go through life on sugar and frosting. It all comes together and When we take the less pleasant parts, like maybe this baking soda or this salt straight, it's not very palatable. But if we start to realize that God is blending all that together, all the good, all the bad, all the neutral, and if we'll allow him to, he will transform those ingredients by combining them together and create something that's really quite pleasant. A piece of cake with layers and and frosting in between, and, and everybody likes cake. But we don't always like the ingredients before they're combined and transformed. That's what I want us to see today as we go through this message, as we go through this series. That oftentimes the suffering we're experiencing is just one ingredient into something beautiful that God wants to create in our lives. And if we will turn that over to Him, and we'll be good stewards of the less pleasant portions, then we can experience the benefits. You see, I had the blessing of, of staying in the home of somebody here uh, at Linwood, and they had a little sign that greeted me every day as I walked through. They were out in, in Phoenix or someplace warm, <laughs> which is really envious today. But this little sign greeted me every time I walked through, and it said, life doesn't have to be perfect to be good. And every moment or every day or every week or every month or every season of life doesn't have to be perfect in order for life to be good. Every ingredient, every element doesn't have to be all that palatable at the moment in order for it to be good and produce something good in us and through us. So now I want to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. And if you join me there, it's on page 1867 in the Pew Bible. And this is a teaching on the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Last week on the Good Friday service, we focused our attention on the suffering of Jesus and all that it accomplished. And on Sunday, we celebrated the resurrection and the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And here in the book of Hebrews in chapter 5, the writer of, of the book of Hebrews is writing to Jewish converts. He's writing to people who were born Jewish, who grew up under the Jewish law, and who were then converted to faith in Jesus Christ, converted to Christianity. And this section that we're going to be looking at is part of a broader section that is establishing Jesus Christ as the perfect high priest. 
The perfect high priest, which was extremely important to the Jewish culture, the high priest was the one who went into the Holy of Holies one day a year and offered sacrifices on behalf of all the people to atone for their sins. And Jesus then becomes that perfect high priest, that perfect sinless offering of God to enter into the Holy of Holies once for all people, for all time, and offer himself as that perfect sinless sacrifice on our behalf. And that's the, that's the point that the author of Hebrews is making in this section. And he uses that opportunity to teach a little bit about suffering and what suffering that Jesus went through accomplished in his life. So read with me verses 7 through 9. Read along as I read these words of Scripture. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, Verse 7, I want to kind of walk through each of these verses. And it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries. And this takes my mind immediately to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I believe there were other times. We're told many times throughout the Gospels that Jesus went off to a solitary place to pray. And I believe that in those moments, his heart cried out to God as he experienced human suffering firsthand, as he suffered himself and experienced the pain and the suffering of humans in this world, that, that in those moments, he cried out to God. And he cried out to the one who was able to save him. And, and it's easy, when I first read this passage, I didn't, I didn't quite understand what it meant to save him from death. So I thought, well, he did die on a cross. He did die. But as I dug into the commentaries, Ray Stedman um, said in his commentary on Hebrews, he said it very, very well. It said that it wasn't to save him from the experience of dying, but rather to save him out of death. That the tomb is still empty because the power of God saved Jesus Christ out of death. He had to experience and had to suffer and had to take on the sin and shame of the world on the cross and was laid in the tomb, but God, through his power, saved him out of death saved him out of the tomb so that his death was just a temporary thing. It was not a permanent thing and that he is alive today. And the connection that is made there is the connection, the first time I was here with you back in February, I preached on the difference between preference and surrender and preached on the Garden of Gethsemane and talked about how Jesus opens his hands before God and says, Lord, if there is any way that this cup can pass from me, let it be, yet not my will, but your will be done. He stayed surrendered. He stayed submitted in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of the greatest trial that any human has ever experienced. He stayed submitted. He stayed surrendered. And I want to encourage you in your moments of suffering, and if you're in the moments of suffering right now, and you're experiencing pain, and you're experiencing disillusionment, and disappointment, and despair even, that you can remember to remember the resurrection today. That you can remember Jesus went through it all. He can identify with us in a way that no other God or no other religious figure in the history of the world can relate. Because he's done it all. He's walked through every experience that we can walk through and then some. And we can call to mind his submission and his surrenderedness. And we can allow that perspective to transform our pain into God's power. Then in verses 8 and 9, we're told that 
that although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That was another puzzling passage to me. It's like, how did he learn obedience? He'd never disobeyed. We're told that he was sinless. He was perfect. That, that he who had no sin became sin on our behalf. So what obedience did he have to learn? And again, the commentaries were helpful. This one by Warren Wiersbe told me that, that he learned how it feels to obey when obedience only promises further pain. He learned about obedience. He learned about the elements of obedience. He learned what it was like for us in our human experience to undergo pain and suffering and to know that to walk forward in obedience with God is not going to take us out of the pain and the suffering, but to take us deeper into the pain and the suffering. And some of you have had some experiences where that has been true for you. And there wasn't an easy way out. And to obey meant more pain, more suffering. And yet the passage we opened with from Romans talks about perseverance. And perseverance is this wonderful Greek word, hupomeno. And it means to bear up courageously under suffering. And the author of Hebrews a few chapters later is going to tell us in Hebrews 12.1 that, that since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our sin, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, persevered the cross. Hupomenod, bear up courageously under the suffering of the cross and is now seated at the right hand of God. That suffering produces this perseverance that we learn to obey even when obedience leads to further suffering. And then in verse 9, there's this curious word that, that that says, once he was made perfect, I thought he was already perfect. Anybody else? So each of these verses, we've got to dig a little deeper. We've got, to, we've got to understand what is being said here. And when you look a little deeper, that word perfect comes from the Greek word teleos, and it means to be made complete or to be made mature. So when he was made complete, when he was able to say on the cross, right before he breathed his last, it is finished. The suffering that he had undergone, that he had undergone with grace, that he had undergone willingly, that he had remained submitted and learned to obey and learned to obey even when it meant more suffering. When he came to that completed phrase, it is finished, it was because the suffering had brought about the perfection of that sacrifice. It was made complete. It was made fully mature. And that perspective can allow our pain to be transformed into God's power. One of my favorite authors right now is a lady by the name of Alicia Britt Cole. And she wrote a devotional that I've been living with for about the last two months. And she teaches on this passage, and it kind of inspired this message. As I knew that this series was coming, I thought I could, I could work with this. And she summarizes Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 this way, in sort of a progression that we can see through the text. She says, The innocent one, Jesus cultivated reverent submission through his sufferings. That it was through Jesus' sufferings that, that he was able to cultivate that reverent submission to stay surrendered, to stay submitted. And once submitted, then the submitted one learned obedience through his sufferings. He learned about obedience. He understood what it meant to obey even when obedience led to more suffering. And finally, the obedient one was made perfect through his sufferings. The obedient one was made perfect through his sufferings. And if we'll allow that perspective to transform our pain into God's power, then there will be no end to what he can accomplish in and through us to minister to his people, 
She puts a bow on it this way. She says, on this side of eternity, there may be no means of simplifying, let alone resolving the age-old angst towards suffering. However, we are invited to find comfort in the knowledge that suffering holds for us the same power it did for Jesus to cultivate submission, to grow obedience, and to bring maturity to our faith. That's the perspective. To see suffering as an unexpected friend that draws us closer to God, that cultivates reverent submission in our lives, that grows our obedience for Christ and brings maturity to our faith. And as soon as I read that last phrase, maturity to our faith, my mind immediately went to James chapter 1. One of the great passages on suffering, verses 2 through 5 and then verse 12. You can read along with me on page 1880 if you want to. But this is what James says as he writes to the church. And they were undergoing a season of suffering. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. How many of you would like to be mature and complete, not lacking anything? I saw a few hands go up. I'm a little disappointed. I thought more people would want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But that's what James says, the same thing that Paul said, the same thing that the writer of Hebrews says. This is Scripture, interpreting Scripture today. And we see that that this perspective, and see how he follows that that statement that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything, if we will allow suffering and trials and temptations to bring about perseverance in our lives. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And I always thought that verse was a little out of place with the, the two that precede it and the one that comes after it. But if you see it in the context of perspective shifting or transforming our pain into God's power, then it makes perfect sense that when you can't see how God is going to redeem the pain and the suffering in your life, you can ask for wisdom, as verse 5 says. And if any of you lasts wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given. You can say, God, it hurts. There's pain and there's suffering, and it's all I can see right now. But your word promises that your Spirit can transform, that your wisdom can transform my pain and my suffering into your power in my life and through my life. So I open my hands and I ask you to do just that. And then verse 12 can be true for you. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Perspective transforms pain into power. Tim Keller says it this way, life-giving faith grows beautiful and pure in the same place that gold grows beautiful and pure. In the furnace. In the furnace. That's why we don't just mix all the ingredients together and get a spoon out and eat the batter. Some of you do that. I do it with cookies. I don't do it with cake. But when we put that thing in the furnace... That's what transforms it into something that we really want to eat instead of a cold pan of goo. It's that furnace experience that when we allow God and we take all of it together and we say, God, take all this pain and the suffering and all this good and all that is mediocre or average or mundane, put it all together and create something beautiful out of it. And you know people, and there are people here at Linwood Church who have, who have allowed God to transform their pain. And it's powerful. 
And you're drawn to them for some reason. And when you start to hear their story, you find out they haven't had a life on easy street. They've had a difficult life. They've had a life filled with pain, filled with suffering, but also with joy and with God's provision. And they've allowed him to mix all of that together and create something that draws us into it. Final word that I'll give you on suffering is to expect it. One of the best things that you can do to prepare yourself for suffering in the future is to expect it. To expect it. It's been promised to us. And if we, if we consider who we follow, there's no reason we shouldn't expect suffering. That author, Alicia Cole, she says it this way, The one we follow was familiar with obscurity and waiting, betrayal and slander, injustice and rejection, physical and emotional suffering. Yet somehow we think that following Jesus means we'll avoid such pain. It's not, it's not logical. The one we follow suffered, suffered greatly. The one we follow experienced tremendous pain. Yet he stayed submitted, he stayed surrendered, and he allowed God to transform that pain into the power that we celebrated last weekend, that we have the opportunity to celebrate every single day of our lives. We can rejoice in our suffering because of the hope that is within us. As we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper this morning, we're going to be worshiping God through the song, It Is Well, which is taken from the, the familiar hymn, It Is Well, It Is Well With My Soul. And you may be familiar with that hymn and, and its language that resonates so deeply with our souls because we all undergo suffering. We all experience suffering. Maybe you know the story behind it. Maybe you don't. If you don't, it might help you to know that that song, that, that song that we sing, was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. He was a wealthy businessman in the late 19th century in Chicago. And he had a lot of real estate along what would be Lakeshore Drive now. And the Chicago fire of 1871 completely destroyed all of his real estate holdings. He lost everything. A few years later, he was supposed to be going to Europe to do ministry with a friend of his named Dwight Moody, who you maybe have heard of. And he was detained for a few days, and he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead of him and remained behind thinking he would catch the next ship over. When he received word that 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 ship had struck another ship and that had been destroyed, and there were only a few survivors, one of which was his wife, but his four daughters had, had drowned in the disaster. And he got on the next ship, and he was making his way over there to be reunited with his wife, and as he approached the space where that accident had taken place off the shores of England, he wrote this song. He wrote the song that we're familiar with, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We'll sing a different version of that song this morning, but let those words and let that image of experiencing tremendous loss and tremendous pain lead this one brother of Christ to the place of saying, God, whatever comes my way, it is well with my soul. And allowing his perspective to transform that pain into God's power. That song has ministered throughout the generations because one person was able to allow God's perspective, the divine perspective, to transform that pain into his power.
As we prepare to receive the elements of communion, you're going to be invited to come down the center aisle across the front here, receive the elements, take them back to where you're seated. If you're in these two sides over here, come uh, down this way and then return to the sides. And the same over here, come down. There'll be four stations where you can receive the elements. Our worshipers, our worship leaders will lead us in that time of reflection. And as you hold those elements, consider the symbolism, consider on this side of the cross what that means to hold the body of Jesus, to hold the blood of Jesus, the blood of the new covenant. When all have been served, I'll return and I'll lead us through the partaking of the Lord's Supper together. May you use this time to worship, to reflect, to experience His grace, to ask Him to give you His perspective on your pain and your suffering and transform it into His power. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word and we thank You for its ministry in our lives. We thank You for these elements that we will receive here in a moment. We thank you for a small piece of bread which represents your body and your blood represented by the cup. May we reflect on what it costs you in order to bring us into the family of God. And may we rejoice not only in your sufferings and what they have accomplished for us, but may we rejoice in our own sufferings and what they might accomplish for your purposes in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.